It's Tuesday night. It's Bible study night. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little study here tonight. And something I have been feeling uh, for a few days now. And um, in fact, yesterday I spent probably a few hours working on this and several hours again today. That doesn't mean the lesson's going to be several hours, but it uh, doesn't mean it's not either. So, praise God. I want you to turn to a familiar passage of Scripture tonight, and um, it is the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start reading with verse number 6, praise God, hallelujah, Philippians chapter 4, we'll begin verse number 6 and read down through verse 9, these are uh, some very familiar scriptures most part at least uh, I think at least the first three most of us are uh, at minimum familiar with and perhaps can um, even quote some if not all of these verses I'm going to uh, read these tonight and then I'll explain in a few moments it's going to be a little bit different than the way I normally do things but it's what I feel tonight. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with Calling your attention once again to verse 8, as the apostle addresses those qualities that ought to characterize our mindset. He goes through this list and he says, if it's true and honest and just, and pure, and lovely, and of good report. If there is any virtue, 
and any praise. Think on these things. Think on these things. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Think on these things. Think on these things. Praise God. Would you put your Bible down, lift your hands, lift your voices, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord together. Jesus, I pray that you would help me tonight. I want to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Ghost. I want you to speak through me, God. I want you, oh God, to feed this flock tonight. God, direct my words, my thoughts, God. Lord, guide my lips tonight and help me to deliver what you have put upon my heart tonight. God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship him one more time before we're seated here tonight. Let's worship the Lord together. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Um, I said a moment ago that I'm going to do things a little differently than I normally do. Because as most of you are aware, whatever scripture I'm using as a text is generally where I begin. But tonight, I am not going to do that, uh, though I have taken my texts from the New Testament letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. I'm not going to deal with this until later in this lesson tonight. Instead, I really want to use that uh, to, to try to bring this lesson to its conclusion. So I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to do things a little in reverse from my normal style tonight. But I pray that doesn't become too distracting for those that are uh, used to hearing me teach. I know that we are creatures of habit. And anything that, uh, that we are not comfortable with or familiar with, when our routines are messed up, it just, it messes with our minds. But I'm going to ask you to put forth a little more effort tonight. And uh, I apologize for the heat. I don't know what's going on. I guess I'll find out after church. But it is what it is. And um, we'll make it. Uh, you know, once upon a time, no church had air conditioning. And they still had church. In fact, this friend with whom I spoke last night was telling me that he said they would try uh, when they could to have service outside. But, but uh, he's deep in the heart of Texas. 
And um, he said, sometimes it's just too hot to be sitting outside. And I remembered, I remembered uh, my days of growing up in, in Dallas. And uh, I remember those hot August days. And uh, uh, I cannot fathom what it would be like to try to be outside having church in a hundred plus degree weather. Uh, I think everybody probably feels like they've been rebaptized by the time they've left, if they've put forth any effort into the service that night, especially the kind of humidity they have there. But uh, be that as it may, we're going to try to get our focus off of all that tonight because I really do have something burning in my heart. As I said, I'm not going to begin with my text tonight. I intend to close with it, Lord willing, or at least use it towards the close of my lesson. And instead, I'm going to spend the bulk of this lesson examining a passage from the book of Psalms. And I don't know why it seems like uh, the last few months I've been in Psalms a lot. And I don't know why God keeps directing me back there, but I feel like this is the direction the Holy Ghost wants to take tonight. And so we're going to examine a passage from the book of Psalms in a few moments. But before I address that passage, I feel like I need to first lay a foundation by examining a particular word that we are going to encounter in that passage. And I want to try to ascertain a definite uh, definition for the word so that we can have a better grasp of the passage when we do address it. Now, with it being warm and me trying to go through some some basic uh, defining of terms tonight. It's going to be real easy for you to get sleepy. And I give you permission tonight to um, uh, poke your neighbor in the eye if they fall asleep and tell them we walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. Hallelujah. And uh, if, if your neighbor... If your neighbor is too far away because of social distancing, I've got a couple of extra bottles of water up here, and I can come baptize you to help you stay awake. But I need you to follow with me for a little while here tonight. I feel like there is a direct message for uh, several of us in this service tonight. Amen. And so, as I said, I'm going to call your attention tonight to a specific word that is found in the scriptures. Now, it is a unique word in many ways. To begin with, this word only appears in two books of the Bible. Only two books of the Bible, and both of those books are in the Old Testament. Now, in those two books, this word appears a total of 74 times, 71 of those in the book of Psalms, 
and the other three in the book of Habakkuk. Although it's used 74 times, uh, and although it first appeared in writing thousands of years ago, the other thing that makes this word unique is that even to this very day, scholars are still not fully agreed as to what the exact definition of the word is. Are you with me? So, so it only appears in two books. It appears 74 times, 71 in Psalms, 3 in Habakkuk. And, uh, uh, and, and in spite of the fact that it appears that many times in Psalms and a few times in Habakkuk, uh, scholars have not been able to find, even scholars of the Hebrew language, have not been able to fully agree on the exact definition of the word. And so, because of that, they left this word. And it's, there are very few words like this, but they left this word untranslated in the scripture. They didn't try to translate it uh, because there uh, was not a clear enough uh, definition. So what they did instead was to transliterate it. All right, I don't want to get too complicated for you tonight. But transliterating simply means they took the Hebrew letters and gave them English equivalent. So they're just spelling out the Hebrew word with English letters. Where most of the time when you read the scripture, obviously they have translated words for us. But this is one of the few exceptions where they did not translate it, they only transliterated it, and that's because they have not been able to reach a definite agreement as to exactly what it means. Now, they've got a little bit of an idea of, of how it's used, but they don't know exactly what it means. And I'm talking about the word sila. Selah is a difficult word uh, for us to comprehend. Scholars, as I said, cannot agree on what it means. But they do believe that they, uh, that, that they understand the purpose behind the word at least to some degree. Because it only appears in Psalms and in Habakkuk, the places that it appears in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is singing a song to the Lord or to the people. And so they understand this much about Selah. And that is that it is a musical term of some kind. Now they do all agree that it indicates some change in the musical accompaniment that is written for the particular psalm where it is used. There is a divided camp among the top scholars. And one suggestion is uh, that uh, perhaps uh, when you see this word selah, uh, that it was indicating to the singers 
and the musicians that as you see this word coming up in the line of the song, then you should raise the pitch or raise the volume uh, of, of what has just been said. It was a way of emphasizing uh, the importance and the significance of the statement made. Now they've come to this conclusion because uh, they, they, they're trying to look into the etymology of the word. They're trying to figure out where the word uh, came from. And so they're trying to find the root word. And there's two options uh, for the root word, it seems. And, and they don't know for sure which of these is correct. So the, the, the group that believes that this means to elevate the volume or elevate the pitch for emphasis, uh, they say that it comes from a Hebrew word, uh, sal, which means to raise or to elevate. Amen. Then there is a second camp, and they have quite a different idea uh, as to the type of musical change that is indicated by the word selah. Uh, they believe that something else uh, uh, was meant by this word and they base this on the other option for its root. Amen. They say that rather than coming from the word sal, it actually comes from the word salah, which means to spread out. Hallelujah. To spread out. Now, according to one commentator, inserting into a song a word that means spread out uh, would suggest, because again, remember, this is a note to the musicians. It's a note as to how it's to be played. It's a note to the singers. It's not a word of the song. It's a note to the singers and the musicians as to how to present the song. And so they said, uh, uh, this, this commentator said that if you're going to take this word salah and then a word that would come from that and put it there as a note to singers and musicians, they see that and it means spread this out. Uh, and, and he suggests that what that would then indicate is that the word uh, or the phrase that is attached uh, should be spread out in the thought of this song. That this is something you need to think about. This is something you need to contemplate. This is something you need to meditate on. Don't just sing it and forget about it. But when you sing it or when you play it, you need to stop and consider the message that's just been made. Now, the reason why I lean toward this second camp uh, is, is to a great degree because um, when you look at the Septuagint, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of stuff here. I'm not trying to get too technical tonight. But when you look at the Septuagint, now the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the fact of the matter is that uh, in Jesus' day, many 
uh, even of his disciples and, and, and even Jesus himself, it seems, uh, quoted from time to time from the Septuagint. Greek in the days of Jesus was the world recognized language. And so having the Bible, the Old Testament in the Greek language made it available to everyone around the world. And, and so those scholars who would translate the Old Testament and put it into Greek would have understood the significance and the importance of the way they translated that word when they put it into the Greek language because this is the way the word's going to be understood worldwide. Are you with me? The Septuagint always translates this in all 74 instances it translates it as diasalma which means a pause in the psalm this is a pause in the psalm amen uh, this is uh, and, and in fact, when they, when they point this out, they go to Psalm 9 and 16. Let's look at this. This is, we're going to throw another word in here. Uh, I, I warned you. I warned you. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere tonight. But Psalm 91 and, I'm sorry, Psalm 9 and verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hygion, Selah. Yeah, so what you see is in this particular psalm, the word selah follows another word that was not translated from the Hebrew. Now they do know exactly what higayon means. And higayon uh, literally shows uh, that you are to meditate on this. It, it is a subject that needs to be uh, noted well. In fact, uh, one commentator used the phrase note of bene which is a latin term it means note well in other words in fact even today nota bene is used sometimes in legal documents when they want someone to really pay attention to a particular thing that happened or a particular thing that said they will call that the nota bene that's note well what's being said here or note well what's being done here Amen. Amen. And so uh, that, that uh, higayon is, is uh, a word that, that literally means to meditate on this. And the fact that it is then followed by sila, uh, the, 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 the writers say there had to be a connection between these two ideas. Hallelujah. Are, are you with me? I'm just about done with this and we're going to go into the Psalms. But I want to make sure you're following with me tonight in what I'm talking about. It appears to me that whenever sila is used in the scriptures it indicates a musical rest and and those of you that are musicians you know what i'm talking about and uh, and you know we don't I don't hear it used anymore, but we used to sing some songs that had a rest in them and and that meant you just stopped at that moment you sang until you hit the rest and you stopped and then you'd pick up the tempo again but you gave just a moment for something to really sink in and and this is the idea uh, evidently behind Selah at least that's what I believe I believe it indicates a musical rest or pause uh, that comes for a specific purpose and that purpose is I want you to pay special attention I want you to know Note well what I just said. 
Hallelujah. Now, with that in mind, turn with me to Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is where I'm going to spend the bulk of the remainder of my time tonight, Lord willing. Psalm 3, and uh, we don't normally read the introductory statement, and it's not even here on the screen, but I'm going to have Brother Goff read. If you've got your Bible open, which it should be, because this is Bible study night, uh, then your Bible probably has a statement prior to verse 1. Or some Bibles will include it as a part of verse 1. But either way, this is the way it begins, and then we'll just read the whole psalm, and then we're going to come back and break it down here tonight. So read it for me if you would. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, o Lord, thou, Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me around about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone, Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. All right, so let's, let's just break this down here tonight. And, and we're going to begin with that opening statement, which is the reason why I wanted Brother Goff to go ahead and read it. The opening statement of Psalm 3 is that uh, it tells us that this is a psalm of David and that it was written when he fled from Absalom, his son. So remember the situation and the story. David was king, but Absalom, his son, uh, started a rebellion and, and decided to overthrow the kingdom and to take the throne away from his father. Absalom won the hearts of people and folks were flocking to Absalom. David was getting up in years now and, and, and people were thinking it's time for a change. We got an old fogey sitting up there that really doesn't understand the times and the seasons and, and doesn't really understand how we feel but oh Absalom, Absalom, oh I'm telling you he's handsome, he's thoughtful he he loves us he he's he's told us how much he cares about us and and so people began flocking to Absalom and David fled from the palace running for his own life I say that so you'll know that the setting of this psalm was in a time of extreme turmoil uh, listen to me saints of God amen I know we face a lot of enemies but there is no pressure like having pressure from your own family. And when your own family turns on you, there's nobody that can put pressure on you like they can. And David, he man, may have been willing to pick up his sword and fight anybody else, but he wasn't going to slay his own son. In fact, when Absalom was slain, David was mad that he was slain. David wept over the fact that Absalom was dead. He didn't rejoice that I can go back 
to my throne now. He grieved over the loss of his son. So this was a time of deep hurt and extreme disappointment. And David, knowing he didn't want to kill his son, how then do you end this thing? You hope that one day Absalom wakes up and says, oh, I made a mistake. But that didn't seem likely. Not the way that Absalom had laid out his plan. Not the way that Absalom had put together his rebellious act. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's a miracle from God when someone who gives in to a rebellious spirit is ever saved. It's, it's a rare thing and it's a divine miracle when it happens. It's true. I don't have time to get into it tonight, but I'm just going to tell you, you can study it out for yourself, but rebellion really is the spirit of Lucifer himself. It's the deepest depths of, of, of spiritual darkness. It really is. I didn't get very many amens on that, but it's the truth anyhow. And, and, and I'm telling you, few and far between are those. Now, some get caught up in it. You know, some, some uh, uh, as I preached about Sunday morning, do some things out of the integrity of their heart. And they don't really realize uh, the depth of what they're involved in. And, and God has mercy. But I'm just telling you, if a person ever really gives themselves over to rebellion there's just not a whole lot of hope that they're going to turn around it just doesn't happen it just doesn't happen but once in a while once in a while God has mercy I'm just saying that so you'll understand how hopeless David must have felt when he was writing this particular psalm I'm telling you this this particular psalm came I believe at really the darkest moment of David's life I don't know of another situation in his life that he ever felt like he must have felt when his own beloved son had turned on him and was ready even to kill his father if he had to so he could assume the throne of Israel that's when this psalm was written and that gives us a little background into what David has on his heart and his mind. So let's listen as he just becomes transparent before us. Let's read now verses 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Yeah. Many are they that Many. rise up against me. Yes. Many are there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. Now, David starts writing about his enemies. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think that he's writing about Absalom. I've, I've already explained how he felt about Absalom. I, 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 you, you can hear his wails as, as he walks the streets of Jerusalem saying, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, my son. David was truly grieving. I don't think he ever saw Absalom as an enemy. He saw him as a wayward son. So when he wrote about his enemies, he was talking about those 
those that had joined forces with Absalom. And as David began to take stock, he said, how are they increased that trouble me? It seems like more and more are walking away from my camp and going to the camp of my son. It seems like more and more are abandoning their loyalty to me and they're joining forces. Amen. With my rebellious son, he said, many are they that rise up against me. And then he says this, many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. There's no help. And it's at that point that we're first introduced. This is the first time in the book of Psalms that the word Selah appears. It's at this point he introduces this word to us. And if I'm right in the way that I am interpreting this word, David is saying, I want everybody to stop and think about the situation I'm in. I'm watching now. I know God gave me this kingdom, but nobody else seems to believe that anymore. Nobody else seems to feel that way anymore. Nobody else seems to have that opinion anymore. Many, many are they that are rising up against me. And they've even gone so far as to start saying there's no help for him in God. They're either saying that God has forgotten him or that God knows full well who and where he is. But God has just abandoned him altogether. And they're saying, David, you might as well forget it. You had visions of staying on the throne. You had visions of doing greater things things but we want you to know God's no longer on your side God's gonna bring you down David he's in the process right now they're not attributing this to the devil they're attributing it to God and David's having to hear it everywhere he goes everywhere he turns many brother Goff are saying David you might as well give up You're not going to make it. You can't win. You're not young enough. Wise enough. You don't have enough foot soldiers still with you. Just hang it up, David. And David said, I want everybody to stop and think about what I'm having to listen to right now. I want them to stop and think about All the stuff that's being injected into my head at this moment. When I go to bed at night, those thoughts are crossing my mind. I toss and turn. Hallelujah. I wake up in the morning and I hear it again and again and again and again. God's not going to help you, David. God's not going to turn things around, David. Get used to this. You might as well just surrender, David. You might as well just give up, David. There's no help in God for you. David said, think about that. 
Note it well. Note it well. This is their charge. This is what they've got to say. Note it well. Oh, but thank God David didn't end his psalm there. Let's go on. Verses 3 and 4. He says this. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for yes. me, my glory, yes. and the lifter up of mine head. Yes. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Hallelujah. He heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I'm telling you, he had reiterated through the use of the word Selah, the fact that there were many that proclaimed God would not help him. But David kept on writing, and he said, I've got a different perspective than what everybody else has got. I see something different that others are not seeing in any of this. He said, I want to tell you, you're telling me that God has no help for me, but I'm here to proclaim today, amen, that God is my shield. He's protecting me. They can shoot their arrows, but I've got a shield, and God's taking care of me. And God, he said, is the lifter up of my head. Oh, yeah, they want to run me down. They want to tear me down. They want to try to make me feel hopeless and worthless and useless. But God just keeps lifting my head up. Hallelujah. And he said, furthermore, I want you to know, I cried to the Lord with my voice. And guess what? He heard me out of his holy hill. And then he said it again. Selah. Stop and think about that. Stop and think about that. I want all of you that have been fighting against me. All of you that have said there's no hope for me. I want you to think about the fact that God is my shield that God is the lifter up of my head and that when I cried, God came to my rescue. Think about that. Note that well. This is important information, guys. This is a significant turn of events, guys. You tried to convince me God wouldn't come through, but I'm here to tell you he has. I'm here to tell you he does. I'm here to tell you he will. Hallelujah. Amen. Say what you want to say. I've got something I'm thinking about. I've got something I'm focused on. I'm focused on how God will protect me and God will hear me. And so finish that psalm. I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. I'm trying to catch my breath. Fat preacher's got to take a, a pause. Everyone's going, Selah, Selah. Just stop and think about what I've already said. Hallelujah. Give me a pause here. Praise God. Let me catch my breath. Let me catch my breath. Hallelujah. Go back to verse 5 again. Amen. Look at what he says here in verse number 5. 
I laid me down and slept. Yeah, you see, there might have been a few nights when I first started that I wasn't getting any sleep over this deal. I was tossing and turning, and all I could do was hear their voices. Every time I closed my eyes, I could see their faces. I could see the hatred, amen, that they were sending out to me. I could hear everything they were saying about me. But I want all of you to know something. I've been laying down and just sleeping through the night. And God has watched me while I've been asleep. I haven't had to lose any sleep over this. I'm not going to lose sleep over what you're saying. I'm not going to lose sleep over what you're thinking. I'm not going to lose sleep over all the accusations. Now, verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. I don't care if he's got ten thousands. There's an S on the end of that. I don't care if it's 20,000, 30,000, 100,000. I don't care how many 10,000s that are against me. Amen. I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Read. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Yeah. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Yeah, yeah, I like this. Listen to this. Here's what he said. Amen. He said, Arise, O God, and save me. Arise, O God. You know what everybody else is saying. And he said, Let me just tell you what God started doing. God just drew his hand back. And God slapped my enemies across the face. That's what that means. He, he smit them upon their cheekbone. If that's not a slap, I don't know what it is. Hey Amen. It was an open-handed slap. And it didn't come from just anybody. It was God. God started slapping his enemies around. And in fact, before he got through, evidently he doubled up his fist and he punched them in the mouth. The Bible said, Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. I want my enemies to know something. I've got a warrior on my side. i got a warrior on my side I don't have to worry I don't have to be afraid God's gonna fight for me amen, amen. hallelujah read 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 Salvation, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thy yeah. blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Now listen, he closed it out. He said, all you guys saying, God's not going to help me. Let me just set the record straight. You don't own salvation. Now you understand by salvation, he wasn't talking about Acts 2.38 there. He was using that word as being saved from his enemies and saved from destruction. Amen. He was talking about deliverance. He said, I want to tell you guys something. You don't own the title to deliverance. So you don't get to decide who gets delivered and who doesn't. I don't care what you declare. I don't care what you say. Salvation, deliverance is God's property. And he's going to sign it over to whoever he wants to sign it over to. You can get your thousands, your ten thousands, your millions together, but when God gets ready and he wants to hand over deliverance, there's not enough people, there's not enough devils to stop God from delivering his people. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm not going to get done with this if I don't 
pick up the pace here a little bit. So he said, he said, God, he said, I'm just sleeping through the night now. And I'm not afraid of ten thousands. Though they come set themselves against me. God's going to rise up. He's already, he's already slapping them around. Knocking their teeth out. He said, because salvation belongs to God. And so does blessing. God not only has been delivering me during this time. I'm going to tell you, I look around and I find the blessing of God. I'm starting to feel a little bit of his presence again. I'm starting to feel a little bit of his power. I'm not going to sit around and become depressed. I'm not going to sit around and let the dark clouds hover over me and beat me down. He said, amen. He said, God owns deliverance and God owns blessings. And then he closed it out one more time by saying Selah think about that just think about that I'm not going to sit back and think on the negative things I'm not going to focus on what the naysayers are broadcasting I'm not going to focus on what the enemies are declaring I'm not going to think about those things in fact I'm going to tell you the more they say God won't I'm here to declare God will the more they say God can't, I'm here to declare God does. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, David said, see, we got a choice as to what we're going to think on. We got a choice. We can listen to the negative. And I promise you, we're always going to find plenty of those. We can listen to those who say it's not going to happen. We can listen to those that are the prophets of doom and gloom. They got their own motives. See, all David's enemies had their own motives for claiming God wasn't going to help David. Because they wanted to believe God was going to help their man. But David said... God's not interested in your vote. God doesn't care what you think. God's already decided who's going to sit on the throne. Well, hallelujah. God's already decided what's going to happen in Israel. And you don't get to decide. And Absalom doesn't get to decide. Well, hallelujah. David said, I can sit around and get depressed and cry myself to sleep every night. I can get on the phone and talk to everybody else about how bad things are. I can get on social media and whine and cry and run the whole world down because everybody's treating me bad. Or I can sit down and say, wait a minute. I'm going to think about something else. I'm going to remember how many times God's already come through for me. I'm going to remember how many times God's already blessed me. I'm going to remember every promise God has made to me. And I'm going to think on these things. I'm going to think about what God has said. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David said, yeah, you gave me something to think about. But I'm giving you something to think about. And I'm letting you know which one I'm thinking about. 
I'm not focused on the attacks of the enemy. I'm not focused, amen, on what they've got to say. I'm not going to let their words determine my beliefs or my fears. I'm going to think about the goodness of God and how God never fails to take care of his own. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Uh, amen. The apostle Paul deals, uh, amen, with how we should look at uh, uh, the things that we allow our mind to think about. Listen, Second Corinthians 10 and 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This phrase, casting down, means to take down, to pull down, to demolish. It means to destroy. Hallelujah. The word imaginations means reasonings. It means opinions. It means reckoning, judgment, decisions. I'm telling you, it's important that we, as the children of God, refuse to let the doubters and the naysayers and the scoffers and the attackers, whether it's people or it's spirits, amen, control our thoughts. But whenever a negative thought comes into our mind, we've got to be proactive. We got to cast it down. We got to pull it down. We got to destroy it. We've got to demolish it. Every imagination, every opinion, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I promise you. I think all of us know, I think all of us are aware that there was a time shortly after Jesus spoke highly of Peter. Just a few moments later, Jesus turned around and called him the devil. He did. And uh, I want to, let's read it, Matthew 16, 23. I'm trying. Give me a few minutes here. Amen. Matthew 16, 23, read. But he turned and said unto Peter. He turned and said to Peter. Get thee behind get me, behind Satan. Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For you. Thou... I'm telling you, listen to what Jesus said. He turned to Peter. Now, he just got through telling Peter, you're Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And then he turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You devil, you. You've offended me. Now, I don't think it's very easy to offend God. God's not a snowflake. God doesn't get offended at every little thing. But Jesus said, that offends me. What what offended you, Lord? Read. For thou savorest not the things that be of God. The things that be of God. But those that be of men. Those that be of men. Now, this word savor in the original, actually means to hold an opinion. To hold an opinion. And Jesus took Peter from being the rock to being the devil because Peter listened to a wrong opinion. Now, we can get into what the opinion was and how, why this was so wrong and, and, and I could take some time to teach on it and, and, and preach about it. And uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that, that Peter was 
saying that Jesus was not going to be crucified and he wasn't going to allow it to happen. And, 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 and keeping Jesus from the cross would be to keep him from the very purpose that he came to earth for. But, but what I'm trying to point out to you is that was a matter of opinion. And Peter, what Peter was expressing sounded right. I mean, Peter was saying, Lord, I'm going to defend you against that. I'm not going to let them hurt you. I'm sure not going to let them put you to death. That sounds logical. But Jesus said, I'm offended. That's a demonic opinion. That's not man's opinion. Hey, saints of God. This is what I'm talking about. Casting down imaginations. That word imaginations can be translated opinions. I'm just going to tell you, we got to be careful who we listen to. we got to be careful, amen, who we allow to get in our ear and put things in our minds. Amen. It may sound really logical. It may be somebody you love. There's no question Jesus loved Peter. But at that moment, Peter was expressing the opinion of the devil himself. Hallelujah. So we have to get those opinions and we got to demolish them. But even then, we're not done. Because he said, back in 2 Corinthians, he said, cast down imagination, every high thing exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought. This, this phrase, bringing into captivity, uh, that means to capture. It means to take it captive we've got to we've got to cast down we got to destroy we've got to demolish every thought that's not like God and not pleasing to God and then we got to get a hold of our thoughts and we've got to capture them and say you're going to submit to the mind of Christ I'm not going to let these things float through my head I'm not going to listen to these ideas and these concepts that'll drag me down That'll discourage me. That'll weigh me down. I'm not going to let those things get into my head. I'm going to make you. I'm going to take you captive and make you become obedient to Christ. And even then we're not done. I'm trying to hurry. First Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 13. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Yeah. Be sober. Yeah. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so once we have cast down imaginations and we have brought our thoughts captively into the obedience of Christ, we also have to gird up our minds. This term gird up referred to the ancient practice of those in biblical times. And when they were beginning a long journey... Or if they had to get somewhere quickly, they wore long flowing robes. They would grab the robe and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into a leather belt. Make it more like a pair of pants. Made it easier for them to run. And Paul, uh, 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 Peter said, this is what we got to do to our thoughts. We've got to take an active control that we don't let our thoughts just flow anywhere they want to flow. We don't let our thoughts just land anywhere they want to land. We got to make sure we have a purpose in what we're thinking about. I'm preaching to us tonight. I'm trying to help us tonight, saints of God. I'm telling you, we can't stop those thoughts from coming into our head, but we don't 
don't have to stop and think about them. We can make up our minds. We're going to think something different. We can make up our minds. I'm not thinking on those things. I'm not thinking on the negatives. I'm not thinking on the things that are discouraging me. I refuse to sit around and cry about how bad things are. I know what I'm going to think about. Let's go now to Philippians. Let's go to our text. I really am trying to close. How do we do all this? Well, I think the answer is through obedience to our text. Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at this. He gives us a threefold process in verse 6. Read. Be careful for nothing. First of all, that, that means don't have cares. Or another way to translate it is don't worry. So quit worrying. If the thoughts you're thinking bring worry to your heart and mind, you're thinking the wrong thoughts. Don't worry about anything. Step two. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the second thing he said, in everything by prayer and supplication. So we got to quit worrying about things and we got to start taking it to the Lord in prayer. But my bill is due tomorrow and I don't have any money. Well, how about spending the night in prayer and seeing what God will do by the breaking of the day? Well, it's easier to call somebody else and get somebody to feel sorry for us and come give us a few dollars. It's easier, amen, to get somebody to have pity on us. But I'm going to tell you, here's what the apostle said. If you really want to be a winner, if you really want to overcome, you got to quit worrying about everything and start praying about it instead. In fact, he said, let me tell you how to pray about it. He said... Everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, here's where we miss it a lot. Because we're real quick to make our requests known. But how many times have we done it with thanksgiving? Hello? How many times has God answered prayers for us and we forgot to go back and say thank you? How many times has God come through for us that we didn't take the time to let him know we appreciated it? I'm going to tell you what will happen to our prayer life if we'll start praying with thanksgiving as we make a request known. Here's what happens. I used to watch my old pastor. He'd pray for somebody. And this is what it would happen when they'd come up for prayer. He'd go to lay hands on them. And I heard him many times say, Lord... I've seen you do this before. You know what he's doing? He's making supplication with thanksgiving. He's thanking God. I know you've done this before. And when you start thinking about what God's already done, and you start reminding yourself of how many times God's already answered, it's easier to believe that God's going to do it again. Instead, we get it to begging God, pleading with God, I'm telling you, begging is a sign of unbelief. I wish I had more time tonight. Begging is a sign of unbelief. (laughs) 
I know we got a social distance, but I got a throat lozenge for you here, Brother Hilton. You'll be safe. I don't have any more COVID. Just come, just come get it. Just come get it. Now, you know, isn't that interesting? He didn't come up here and say, please, Pastor, please. I really need a throat lozenge. Would you please? Oh, if you could just find it in your heart to give me my throat's really sore. Do you understand how bad it hurts? Do you understand how much I'm suffering right now, Pastor? Do you know how bad I need that thing right now? I said, I'm going to give it to you. He believed it, and he came and got it. When we come to God and say, oh, please, God, please. Oh, God, don't you understand how bad things are? I'm telling you, the more we beg God, the less we believe him. But if we could approach him with thanksgiving and say, hey, God, I remember that time that you stepped in. You say, well, I don't know of any time God's done it. Well, did he save your soul? How about saying, God, I remember when you found me. I didn't deserve to be saved, but you called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. And God, you didn't save me to leave me. You didn't save me to forget about me. I I believe, God, that the same power that saved my soul can meet this need in my life tonight. Oh, Lord. Don't worry about it. Just pray about it. And when you pray, thank God for what he's already done. Then verse 7. Here's what, now look, if you'll just do those three things, there's already a promise for us in verse 7. Read And the peace of God, God. which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, there's already a promise. God's going to give you peace. You're fretting, you're worrying, you're pacing the floor, you're chewing your fingernails down to the quick. You're scared, you don't know what to do. I'm telling you, the peace of God will fill your heart and mind if you'll quit worrying, start praying, and offer thanksgiving. Then what did he tell us? Verse 8, I'm almost finished. Musicians, you can come. I'm not quite finished, but almost. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. Hang on, hang on. So look, here Paul gives us a checklist. And, And look, I challenge you. I challenge you to print out this list and just put it in your wallet or your purse. And the next time you start thinking about something or talking about something or talking about someone, the next time your mind is going in a certain direction, you need to ask yourself, number one, is it true? Now, it's not true just because somebody we trust says it's true. doesn't mean they're lying to us. But there have been times I've gotten bad information. And I've shared bad information. I really believed I was telling the truth, brother. Self? How can I forget the name Self? Lord, have mercy. Yeah. yeah. There's times I really thought I was telling the truth. I wasn't lying. But I found out I had bad information. So is it true? Well, if I don't know if it's true, then I'm not going to worry about it. Hello? Well, I think so-and-so doesn't like me. Well, do you know that it's true or do you just think it? If it's not true, move on to something else. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. 
whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, despair, gloom, depression, those things are not lovely. I'm telling you, they, they're ugly. Whatever things are lovely and whatever things are of good report. There's no good report in saying, I'm going bankrupt. I'm losing everything. That's not a good report. How about saying, you know, I'm at a position where I can't help myself, but that means it's given God a great opportunity to step in and perform a miracle. The things that are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, that's what we ought to be thinking on. And then he said in verse 9, Those things which ye have both learned, things that you have learned, and received, and, received, and heard, mm-hmm. and seen in me do, mm-hmm. the God of peace shall be with you. Now, now listen to me. The apostle said this. He said, if you're really wondering about what to do, then I want you to look at me. Think about what I've taught you. Think about what you've heard from the Word of God. Think about how you've seen me live. And if you'll do those things, the God of peace will be with you. Now, let me close with this one final verse to sum up what I'm trying to say in Philippians 4 and 9. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says this. Remember them which have the rule over you, uh-huh. who have spoken, spoken unto you the, you word, the word of God, God whose who, faith I follow. I love this. Whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation. Oh, I like this. Whose faith follow. Oh, pastor, I just don't have any faith. Well, I do. Well, I'm just hearing so much negative. Well, I am too, but I'm not focused on the negative. I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm focused on the positive. I still believe the promises of God. I'm not discouraged tonight. I'm not disappointed tonight. I'm not downhearted tonight. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not living under a cloud tonight. I'm going to tell you, if you don't know what else to believe, just follow my faith, all right? Just follow my faith. When you see me down, when you see me discouraged, when you see me depressed, then you go ahead and get depressed. But if I come in with a spring in my step and a smile on my face, you just follow my faith. We'll get to the promises together. Come on, saints, think on these things. Think about revival. Think about outpouring. Think about souls being saved. Think about miracles. Think about healings. Let's think on these things. Let's stand tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got my detractors. I've got those who array themselves against me. Those who really want to see the church fall apart. 
they're out there. That, that happens every church. It really does. I'm telling you, there's those out there. And if I wanted to, I could crawl into a corner and suck my thumb till the day they bury me, just feeling sorry for myself. That's the truth. If that's what I wanted to focus on. But that's not what I want to focus on. Oh, hallelujah. You want to know why I keep that sign out there in the foyer? Because every time you walk through the door, I'm saying, come on church, follow my faith. No matter what you're hearing, no matter what you're seeing, no matter what you're thinking, just follow my faith, all right? Come go with me. Follow my faith. I believe it, Sister Reba. I believe it with every fiber in my being. I still believe the promises of God are yea and amen. I believe everything that God has spoken, it's going to happen just like he said it. And if you don't believe it, just follow my faith. Just follow my faith. Why don't you think about the things that I'm thinking about tonight? I'm thinking about a good God. I'm thinking about a loving Savior. I'm thinking about a miracle worker. I'm thinking about a chain breaker. I'm thinking about a way maker tonight. I'm thinking about the Prince of Peace. I'm thinking about the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley. I'm thinking about the Great I Am tonight. That's what I'm thinking about. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, preacher, what's going to happen with the election? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. It's not really who's in the White House that matters. It's who's on the throne. And can't nobody vote him out of office. So I'm going to think on these things. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to think about how many times in the past I looked around and said, dear God, we're going to all just go down. How many times growing up when I saw the world around me going crazy and I thought, man, everybody, this place is all just going to hell in a handbasket and, and, and have my mind made up. Oh, I'm telling you, we're at that point where the whole world's going to fall apart right now. But I've watched God through the years step in time and time and time again. There will be a day it'll fall apart but I'm going to tell you this this is not my home anyhow my home's not going to fall apart my home is never going to see moth nor rust my home is never going to see thieves break in there's not going to be any looters up there there's not going to be any protests up there I'm telling you I got my heart set I've got my mind fixed Oh, let's worship the Lord tonight. Let's worship the Lord tonight. Oh. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I know we're over time, and I know we're social distancing, but we're also 
first and foremost apostolic. And if the word of the Lord has spoken to anybody tonight, I think you ought to take a few moments and respond to what God has said. I think somebody needs to get their eyes off of the negative. Get your eyes off of the enemy and get them on the one that's fighting for us. I think somebody needs to let God become your shield and the lifter up of your head. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to reach out to God in faith tonight and say, God, I'm tired of living in depression and discouragement and doubt and gloom. I'm going to walk in faith. Come on, let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. If you want to come around the front, you're welcome to come. Amen. I just think we need to do something to let God know. Amen. We've got faith in him. We believe him tonight. We trust in him tonight. Hallelujah. Let the enemy say what they want. I'm going to listen to the voice of the Lord. I'm going to believe his report. I'm going to believe his report tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on. Let's worship.